Please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 9. In the Pew Bible, that's on page 843. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. We'll be reading from verses 9 through 18. Second Timothy 4.9, in Jesus' name. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to support, to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Doug. Join me in prayer again as we come around God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your clear communication to us. May we submit to its authority this morning. It's not my authority. It's authority of Jesus Christ who has promised to build his church. So I pray, God, that we would bend the knee to you. We would not only call you Lord, we would allow you to be Lord in all areas of our lives. So direct us this morning to hear what you want us to hear, to apply what it is that we need to apply to our lives sooner rather than later. Give us the strength and grace to accomplish that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. A pastor was asked once, what is the greatest joy in ministry? I mean, what is it that gives you the greatest delights? And he answered, people. He was then asked, what is the greatest pain in ministry? I mean, what gives you the greatest heartache? And he replied, people. (laughs) You know the jingle. Living with saints above, oh, that will be glory. Living with saints below, well, that's another story, (laughs) right? 
And of course, we're all familiar with the line by Frederick the Great, who said, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. (laughs) That's what it's like sometimes. Well, there's something rather interesting as we come to the end of our study in 2 Timothy. You will recall that this is the last book written by the Apostle Paul before his execution. Paul, about to be martyred for his persistence to boldly proclaim Christ, sits in a cold, dark hole in the ground type prison, writing his final words to his protege, Timothy. These are literally the final written words of a dying man. What is on his mind as he closes out this letter in his life? What is most weighing on his heart as he's about to die? What does he talk about? People. Not programs. Not final rules. People. The tendency might be to kind of blow past this section of Scripture and all these hard names. And Doug did a great job on it. That's why we had him read it this morning. (laughs) But we could blow past this and kind of end our study with Paul's triumphant epitaph last week. But this section of Scripture is very instructive. And it's here because God wanted it included in his God-breathed Scriptures. We have been speaking to the importance of passing on the truth so that we leave a lasting legacy. I hope you've caught that. And not only must we pass on, we must press on. It's critical that we have something to pass on by pressing on to finishing strong. We need to be finishers and not only starters in the faith. And just as a NASCAR driver must have a quality pit crew for his success, we need a team around us that keeps us running. Each member of the team serves a different role, but all are needed, and all should feel the responsibility to each other to run the race of the Christian life so that we all cross the finish line strong. The Apostle Paul, the master of theology, had a team. A network. People who were in his life. People in whom he trusted. People on whom he depended and to whom he delegated responsibility. People he could count on. They were all part of his life. Paul was a man of great relational passion. As we'll see in his network, were people who were sweet to his ministry. But do you know what else comes with relational passion? Sorrow, heartache, pain. You see, you really can't have one without the other. Not if you're going to have relational passion. Not if you hope to finish strong. And to everyone's life are those who are consistent and those who are inconsistent. Those who jump in and help and and those who only help when it's convenience. And every life and every ministry and every church across the Christian community are sweet and sour Christians. Those who bring joy and those who bring sorrow. Both are a part of every life. And the greater your passion for people, the greater you will feel deeply both the joys and the sorrows relationally. We see our Savior. 
as he entered Jerusalem on the donkey, approached the city. And what happened next, according to Luke's gospel? Scripture says, Jesus saw the city and he wept over it. The tears were over people. Our Savior can relate to the pain of rejection. I believe it was Philip Yancey who said, Just as Jesus bore the wounds of crucifixion, he bears the wounds of the church, his body, and I sometimes wonder which have hurt worse. Let's face it, some of our deepest and most painful hurts have been in relationships. I find myself saying at times uh, when I wish I could live alone, and there are other times I'm thankful I don't. While there is the sweet taste of wonderful fellowship, there's also the sour aspect that gives us heartburn. There are those who act like, as Joe Aldridge loves to say, those who who look like they've been weaned on pickle juice. You know what I'm talking about. But loved ones, people are our most valuable treasure we have. They are our greatest resource. And my challenge to you this morning on the authority of God's word, shown to us in the example of the man named Paul, is if you are to press on to the end, you cannot do so alone. We are not islands. If we are to be most effective in the Lord's service, it is absolutely essential we learn to work with and alongside of people because to die well is to love well. And as we see this morning... There are those who are loyal, refreshing, transparent, and relationships that are mended. These bring great satisfaction and joy. And then there are those who defect and abandon and oppose you. And they they bring great sorrow and pain. Sweet, sour. Paul is a network of people who are all part of his life. And he wants us to meet his team. There are more than this list, but there's plenty here for us to chew on this morning. So let's look at Paul's team. Let's first look at those who brought sweetness to his life. Oh, the satisfaction and joy of people. We first see the trustworthiness of Timothy. The trustworthiness of Timothy. Look in your Bibles with me, the passage that was read, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Paul asks Timothy to come to me quickly, he says. Do your best to come to me quickly. He adds to that back in verse 21, it wasn't read, but he invites him and asks him, begs him to come before winter. You see, Timothy was a source of tremendous joy in Paul's life. Paul took this young man under his wing and and he invested his very life to Timothy. As we've been talking about throughout this series, Timothy, like a second runner in a relay race, received the baton from the first runner, Paul, and then he's to pass on, because he's trustworthy, to pass on to other runners behind him. Paul knew Timothy was trustworthy to receive the baton and then pass it on to others. As we talked about at our leadership conference for some of you last weekend, this is called the Ministry of Multiplication. One person's life touching the life of another who then touches the life of others and on and on and on it goes. The question is, do you have a Timothy in your life? Do you have someone to pass the baton to? Someone you are entrusting your heart, your soul, the truth, your very life to. 
And do you view others in this room as opportunities to build into their lives and have them build into yours? What do you call a church that fails to reproduce? Dead. Trustworthiness of Timothy. Are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy to pass on what you have been given to others? Trustworthiness of Timothy. Secondly, we see on his team the loyalty of Luke. The loyalty of Luke. Look at verse 11. Paul says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Now, I suppose you could read this another way. Something like, please hurry to get here. Only Luke is with me. And you can imagine what that's like. <laughs> Luke might be saying, looking over his shoulder as he's writing this, hey, come on, Paul, I'm doing my best here. Don't make it sound like you have a junior varsity player here. That's not how we should read it. Paul elsewhere calls Luke a fellow worker and beloved physician. I mean, Paul had his own personal doctor. And if anyone needed one, it was Paul. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He had some thorn in the flesh that God would not remove. What is beautiful about this man, Luke, is that he never left Paul's side. He was with Paul in a couple of missionary journeys. He was with Paul in both of his imprisonments. We don't see Luke doing some preaching. We don't see Luke doing some public speaking. We don't see Luke teaching people or leading some small group or, or being a leader of a church. That's not how we see Luke in any of the, anything that's written about him. He worked primarily behind the scenes, standing at Paul's side, serving him, nursing him when he was ill. Saw Paul at his worst. Lived with him day in and day out. I mean, you really get to know a person in that setting. It's clear that Luke was a loyal companion and friend and perhaps even a confidant. I ask you, do you have a loyal friend? Have you thanked him or her recently? Is there someone you regret being loyal to when when he or she needed you most? Do you need to make that right with that person? Do you need to let someone off the hook for letting you down? You see, loyalty is a wonderful thing. I'm not talking about blind loyalty. I'm not even going there this morning. Let's just focus on the positive of this. But loyalty is a wonderful thing. But the downside to it, if you will is when you value loyalty, it is hard to move on when someone sold out on you. And you might be stuck here this morning because someone was not loyal to you, and you value that. We need loyal people on our team. We need to be loyal to each other. People will stand with us through thick and thin. People we can count on. Is there someone who needs your loyalty right now to show up because everything else seems to be going against him. You be loyal. You be trustworthy. There's another joy for Paul with people that we're going to call the mending of Mark. Trustworthiness of Timothy, the loyalty of Luke, the mending of Mark. Now, I remind you of the history that goes along with John Mark and the Apostle Paul. You can read about it. The accounts recorded for us at the end of Acts chapter 15. You'll recall that at one point in the ministry, Mark lost heart and he returned home. He essentially bailed on the team. He let the team down. 
And while Paul was indeed um, adept in relationship, he was a man on a mission. So when it was suggested that the once quitter join the team again, Paul said, no way, Jose. Paul took his hands off of Mark, you'll recall, and, and he didn't want Mark to rejoin the team. And whether this is a wrong call or not on Paul's part, we can only surmise, but one thing is for sure, a man named Barnabas was a real encourager, uh, gives Mark another second chance. It's a beautiful picture of one man's encouragement giving a guy a second chance, but not so for Paul. It was somewhat a sour moment in Paul's life. The beautiful part comes later on. We find it in our words that were just written, uh, read, read here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Look what it says. After it says, Luke is with me, it says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful or useful to me and my ministry. Now, credit must be given to the glory of God for Paul's humble attitude here. He doesn't hold the grudge. He doesn't hold on to this matter to his death, but instead he's willing to acknowledge Mark's usefulness. See, it wasn't about saving face for Paul, or he would have never mentioned Mark. He could have easily closed out this letter, letting Mark be, and by his silence, we could conclude what, he want, what we wanted. But, but Paul was all about mending relationships. And Mark was a case in point. One who Paul had no use for became useful to him later on in his life. And he was okay in mentioning it. Matter of fact, he went out of his way to mention it. Because there's sweetness of ministry right here. Now, sadly, and I'm going to be honest with you here, we don't witness this enough. We don't. Frankly, we experience more broken relationships than mending. Why is that? I mean, aren't we all about restoration? Didn't Jesus take the time to restore a broken relationship with Peter who, who denied him and walked out on him? I mean, why are we okay with moving on without making things right where there has been a fallout? In my humble opinion, it is one of the reasons for the church's ineffectiveness in the world right here. There is so much unfinished business and so much lack of closure, we're ineffective across the Christian community, throughout the world. And so we experience losses, but not the blessings of restoration to equal measure. And what happens then is what? We become sour toward other Christians and toward the church in general. I venture to say some of you here are sour this morning. And honestly, I can count on one hand, maybe two, the number of times a fallout between believers resulted in mending. But the times I have witnessed it, it is one of the sweetest things on this side of heaven. Because God's heart for us is, is much more than merely coexisting. Several years ago now, there was a, a story in the newspaper about a Dallas, Texas man who had a serious disagreement with the bank. His home sat adjacent to a piece of property on which uh, the bank planned to build a new facility. The bank wanted to buy his home and knock it down. 90 years old, the man had lived in the house for some 50 years. He didn't have to sell his house, so he decided he wouldn't. The bank wanted to build, and it decided it would. The results, a new bank building shaped like a horseshoe around the man's house. I'm not kidding you. An automatic teller machine dispenses cash 15 feet from where he sleeps at night. The cars 
I love this. The cars of drive-through customers idle in front of his kitchen window. He's there doing dishes and they're going right by. Craziness. Two parties adjacent to one another but hardly could be called neighbors. There's a better way. Let's do more than coexist. Let's cooperate. That's true of your marriage. That's true of your youth group. That's true of relationships in the church. Is there someone you need to patch something up with? Don't ignore it. Don't just coexist. Maybe something that was once considered sour can be sweet where there is restoration, where there is mending. Give it a chance. There might be some sweetness there. Trustworthiness, loyalty, mending. We could talk about the ointment of Anesiphorus and the dependability of the duo of Cretans and Carpus. But the point being, we need to surround ourselves with people if we are to press on to the end. Don't let the bad sour you. You're just going to take it into your next relationship. You're just going to take it into the next church. A wise old farmer was working in his field. When a family moving into the community stopped and asked the farmer if this community was friendly. And the farmer asked the newcomer, well, what was the community like that you just came from? And the newcomer answered, it was terrible. The people were rude, small-minded, and very unfriendly. And the wise old farmer replied, well, then, that's just how you're going to find this community to be. Yes, he nailed it. You nailed it. We carry ourselves into the next one. It's not them. It's us. So the question is, are you trustworthy? Are you loyal? Never mind everybody else around you. Are you loyal? Are you open for a mending of a relationship? Do you bring refreshment to others? Are you dependable? Are you one of those uh, others that are glad you came? Or they're glad when you leave? (laughs) Get involved with people. Do you need to get back into the world of relationships again? Is there a risk? Absolutely. Might you get hurt? Probably. And we come to the other side of the coin. For Paul was the sour side. Oh, the pain and sorrow of people. Let's take a few of those on his team. There's the defection of a Demas. Defection of a Demas. Do you know the pain of someone you have a history with and have spent time with who walked away from the faith? It says of Demas in verse 10, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. Now those are sobering words. Apparently, Demas started fine and was a partner in ministry and companion to Paul, but sadly, the seed that fell among the thorny heart of Demas looked good at first, but then the deceitfulness of wealth, the pleasures of this world, choked the spiritual life out of Demas, making him unfruitful for the long haul. And when Paul says deserted here, in verse 10, he uses a very strong word that means leaving at the most inappropriate time. We might say leaving me in the lurch. There are those, I can guarantee it, who you pour your life into, you spend time with doing ministry together to only experience the pain of their walking away from you, the church, and perhaps even the Christian faith. Demas had the wonderful privilege of being trained by whom? Paul. He's serving alongside of Paul 
and he abandons him like Judas betrayed Jesus. And let me tell you, it stings. Likely in your life, you've had a Demas or two or three or four. They're part of your network. Believer, don't let it sour you. And don't be a Demas. Make sure you're doing what you're doing and serving where you're serving because you love Jesus. It isn't good enough to be married to someone who loves Jesus or to hang out with someone who loves Jesus or to sing songs about loving Jesus or to grow up in a home where someone loved Jesus or attend Bible studies that speak about loving Jesus. Check and see that you love Jesus. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, don't lose that first love. Light the fire again. Don't lose it. Starting well, finishing poorly. That's Demas. That's Demas. Now I need to move on here. On the sour side of things, not only have defection to Demas, we have the antagonism of Alexander. The antagonism of Alexander. Look at verse 14. Paul says, Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Now wherever this guy is, He opposed the truth, and he hated everything Paul stood for. Folks, we're going to have our enemies. We need to be on guard, as Paul says in verse 15, against those who are sheep in wolves' clothing, uh, those who might speak a good game, those who might be impressive by human standards, but who will seek to destroy your faith and undermine the truth. Notice, though, however, Paul's way of handling Alexander. This is a beautiful thing. I mean, he does call him out, and he does warn the church about him, but then he simply leaves him with the Lord. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. We get all bent out of shape and feel like we have to answer all the critics and chase all the arguments of the opposers. I mean, there is a place for that, but we can be confident that the Lord will take care of our enemies and the enemies of the cross. Let's leave retribution with the Lord. We don't need to try and get even or try and make a statement or give our energy to those who attack us who who want more than anything else to make us look like fools. And if some Christians look like fools to the the opposers and antagonists, yes, yes. They do circles around them. Leave it with God. Because no one who opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ will ever ultimately succeed. Now, I need to speak to one more area in the sour side of things, which many of us, if not all of us, have experienced. It says here in verse 16. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. We have here the no-shows. The no-shows. Here is Paul at the end of his life, thinking about people, caring for people, and concerned about people's lives, and they weren't caring about his life. They weren't thinking about him. Isn't that the way life works sometimes? All you needed was someone to show you a little moral support by showing up when you had to go to court. All you wanted was someone to stop by and check in on you. All you wanted was for someone to pick up the phone, give you a call, and maybe pray with you. All you hoped for was that someone, just maybe one person, that would would think of you and, and nothing. I won't kid you, that hurts. It really hurts. 
Remember, Paul is a relational, has relational passion. He loves people. It hurts even more. But what is remarkable in all of this that we have to grab a hold of is Paul's response. Notice he does not give in to bitterness and self-pity. He doesn't whine. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, I give up on you people. He could have easily said, I have given my life for these people. I have invested in their spiritual well-being. I was there to help them through their crisis. I stood with these folks. And the one time I needed someone to be there for me, nothing. No one showed up. I'm done with you. I mean, the church is supposed to be your family after all. And none of them showed up. Not one. Who did show up for him? Notice where he turned in the midst of relational sorrow. Middle of verse 16. My first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Middle of verse 16. May it not be held against them. Whoa, that's underlined, that one. Verse 17. Who showed up? But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. All the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Who showed up? The Lord stood at my sides. Oh, may my response be like Paul's. I mean, what keeps Paul pressing on? The Lord stood at my side. The Lord gave me strength. The Lord delivered me and will bring me safely home. Jesus will never leave you. People will. He'll never forsake you. People will. He'll never abandon you. People will. He'll always show up. People might not. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's the way it is. Into every life will be sweet and sour. Yes, yes, even the Christian community. Again, believer, loved ones, don't become sour. Please don't let the hurt inflicted on you cause you to become soured toward the church and give up on the church because into every life will come both sweet and sour. Is there someone you need to say right now, may it not be held against them? Don't just pass over this. I couldn't. Because that attitude allowed him to pass through the tape at the finish line in a strong, as a strong runner. In a very strong manner. There are many things that can prevent you from finishing strong. And, and a sour spirit is one of those. I've been there. I get it. I speak to myself this morning because only by the grace of God have I not given up on the church. Only because of God's patient pruning in my own life did he put into my heart a fresh love and passion for people and believe in the church today rather than a cynical quitting on the church which is very precious to him. Folks, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. There's a beautiful picture of this in the ceremony that takes place at the Olympics. If an American athlete wins a gold medal, the athlete stands on the platform as the American flag is raised and a song is played. 
Since Olympic athletes are representing their country and not themselves, they don't get to choose the song to be played while they're on the platform. Nor do they say anything they want to say or wear anything they feel like wearing. No, the song is the national anthem, the outfit is the team's Olympic uniform, and the focus is as much on the athlete's nation as it is on the individual athletes. It serves as a reminder that these athletes are part of something much bigger than themselves. They are united around the common goal of winning in order in part to bring greater honor to the nation they represent. Might this serve as a reminder for the church? We're part of something much bigger than ourselves, building the kingdom. We're united around the one purpose to bring greater honor to the Lord we represent. Be part of the team. And you say, but pastor, if you only knew how much I messed up, if you only knew my failure back there in my past, if you only knew the struggle I have in serving the Lord, if you only knew what sin continues to entangle me, you would never invite me to be on the team. Ah, the people on Paul's team and Paul himself were not perfect. That's just the point. You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. The person sitting next to you is imperfect. No amen here. (laughs) It's not the right time. I love how one person expressed it. The Christian life is not about having it all together. We just know the one who does. May our lives intermingle more and collide less. I used this illustration not too long ago in the evening service, but it bears repeating. Ann Ortland speaks of every congregation as either one of two things. It can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect each other except in collision. On Sunday morning, you can choose to go to church or you can choose to sleep in. Who really cares whether they're 192 or 193 marbles in a bag? Or the church can be a bag of grapes. The juices begin to mingle, and there's no way to extricate yourself if you even tried. Each is part of all, part of the fragrance, part of the stuff. I view you, every one of you, as more than a marble in a bag. Be part of the stuff. Surround yourself with people who's on your team, who's on your friend list. Who do you live life deep with? Will you love well? If you do, you'll also end well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, first of all, for believing in me and breathing in me courage and grace to not continue down the road of a sour spirit, a cynical spirit, but instead hit me over the head and show me all my pride. Show me my arrogance. Because Jesus Christ still believes in the church. He has not given up on the church throughout this land. And they're sweet and they're sour, and I pray that in all of it, we would see it as from you, You can bring it all together in our lives in such a beautiful way so we can finish strong. Help us to get back into relationships if we've been pulled away from them. 
and take that risk of surrounding ourselves with people so we can finish well for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.